<laughs> Hashem. Okay, um, I, uh, I want to give a perspective. I mean, just come back from America on Thursday, so uh, I really left right after the last year. I came back just before this one. So um, a lot of the research that I had to do for this year was really coming from looking around, thinking, talking to people, and uh, getting a certain understanding and perspective, which is the reason why we have the topic that we have, as you'll see as we move along. Um, there's a dichotomy that we have to try to understand. And to understand this dichotomy, I have to first explain that, you know, there was a fellow I know who used to give a, uh, a vod in a particular yeshiva. And no matter what he was talking about, the message was always the same thing at the end. It was always the same conclusion. A male is No matter what it was, you have to work, learn harder. If you learn harder, then everything will be alright. And, and that was it. No matter what they were talking about, it always did the same conclusion, which at least always keeps you focused because you know what he's going to conclude, you know. And Baruch Hashem, somebody said to me, you know, when they come to your show, you never know what you're going to say. And sometimes neither do I. So, um, Baruch Hashem. But there's one thing that I, I find... I was about to say, as I was planning in my mind how I was going to open this year, and then I realized I've said this about uh, four other parashios, you know. This is the parasha where Klai Yisrael begins. <laughs> now, we said that on Leich Lecha because that's when Avram Avinu comes, and that's when Klai Yisrael begins. And in parashas Vayera, now that he has the Brismila, and he's really Klai now Klai Yisrael really begins. Klai Yisrael is where we go out and we find our first wife made the first Shidduch in Klai Yisrael, and that's where Klai Yisrael really begins. And this week, Yaakov Avinu gets the Brachas, and that's where Klai Yisrael really begins. And next week, he goes to Father Aram, and that's where he gets married and has children, and that's where Klai Yisrael really begins. And then, the next week, in parashas Yishlach, he saved from Asaph, and now they really begin. And on and on, we always really begin. But there's obviously different uh, ideas of what it means that Klai is beginning. What is, there's, there's different aspects to Klai Yisrael beginning, obviously. That's all of Sefer Beratius. All of Sefer Beratius. From the beginning to the end is how Klai Yisrael begins. The Avos are the foundation. And as such, we are laying the foundation of everything. Everything that's in Klai Yisrael is in this Sefer, and that's the concept of Maisa of a similar bonim. I may have mentioned it the last time, that a friend of mine has this wonderful expression that, you know, Jewish history is Jewish destiny. Right? We're, we're, when we look at the lives of the Avos, everything is covered right up until the present time. There's a Ramban that will, at the end of Vayichi, that speaks about the age that we are in right now at the end of of Jewish history. And it's just absolutely fascinating. Perhaps we'll speak about it at one point. But um, but this is the parasha where obviously Klai Yisrael, I suppose at one point, since Yaakov is Yisrael, he is he is the progenitor of B'nai Yisrael. This is where he gets the brachos and leaves to go off. And the very end of the parasha, <coughs> more or less, sets the tone for what is to come. It's after the whole story with the, with the brachos and they the, the okay so uh, so he says, so Rivka says I can't handle if he's going to marry women like Asaph married the Yishlach Yitzchak es Yaakov v'yelech padana aram el aram Ben Besuah Arami Achi Rivka Aim Yaakov Esav sends him off to Panan Aram to get married. For Yar Esav Kiberach Yitzchak Es Yaakov, for Shidach Asav Padana Aram Lakachas Lomisham Isha. He sees that he's not happy with his um, from his wives from Canaan. For Yar Esav Kiroz Benos Canaan Beena Yitzchak Aviv. And he sees that the daughters of Canaan are evil in the eyes of um, in the eyes of Yaakov, of Yitzchak, his father. He doesn't actually divorce them or get rid of them. But he adds to his wives the daughter of Yishmael. So what's happened here? What's happened here is Yaakov is going off to Padan Aram and he's going to get married and he's going to have Klai Yisrael. And at that moment, 
Asaph turns aside, and where does he go? Asaph turns aside to be able to marry the daughter of Ishmael. And at this particular juncture, you have the joining together of Asaph and Ishmael. The uh, we know that there are seventy nations. Talk about the Shivim Mumasayim. We talk about seventy people in Bnei Yisrael go down to Mitzrayim, and the Shivim Umos are connected those 70 people from Bnei Yisrael who go down. There are 70 nations. What about Yisrael? Yisrael doesn't count. There's 70 nations, and then there's just Yisrael. How does, right, uh, uh, as the Gemara says, look how amazing, and Manoira, Kodesh Baruch who is able to protect one uh, sheep from 70 wolves. Seven nations of the world. So what about Esau and Yishmael? So Esau and Yishmael are obviously not part of the 70 nations. Eilu v'rechev ve'eilu v'susim. V'nachem b'shem, Hashem al-Kiru n'azkiyah. This one comes with horses and this one comes with chariots. Eila and Eila. Yeah? Eila is Aleph and 35 in Gematria. Eila, Aleph, Lamed Hay is 35. And Ayla, Aleph, and 35. And then there's us. The world is divided up into two groups of nations. The 70 nations are divided up into two groups of nations. 35 of them are under the influence of Yishmael. And 35 of them are under the influence of Asaph. Yishmael and Asaph become the heads of the opposition. And at the end of this week's parasha, we find the two of them joining together in a coalition so that the people who run one half of the world and the people who run the other half of the world join together in order to form a common defense against us. One comes with horses. That's Ishmael. Right? Ishmael is considered, you know, more animalistic, greater level of taivas, you know, stufe zima, they are totally immersed in um, immorality to the point that their entire olam haba is the ultimate expression of immorality. They blow themselves up for the schus to be able to live a life of eternal immorality. It was interesting, I was once at an event and one of the speakers was criticizing um, Benos Yisrael for their tzniyas as opposed to the Benos Yishmael, the Arabs who you see wear these burkers, you see how careful they are to maintain a level of modesty. You know, Now to be fair, you know, if a Jewish girl doesn't maintain a level of modesty, you know, she'll get into trouble in school. A... Um, a um, you know, B'nai who don't listen, have their head chopped off. And uh, I'm not advocating any change in policy, but I am saying, you know, certainly that's a better way to guarantee enforcement, you know what I mean? But somebody once asked this to Maisha Shapiro, he says, I don't understand, you know, here you say that Yishmael are so shtufe zima, they're so immersed in immorality, and yet they maintain for their women the highest levels of tzniyas. And he laughed and said they have to, because otherwise there would be no society left they are so out of control. Interesting. So, um, uh, but but that's Yishmael. The Elab Rechev, and these are with Rechev chariots. That's Edom. Edom is is thrilled by um, by technology, by any technological advances that they're going to be able to use. So half the world is you know motivated just based on taiva, half of them are based on power and technology to use it to be able to control. And um, and this is the world. This is the world. So those two gentlemen who come out of Klai Yisrael, as we go through the parashios where we're creating Klai Yisrael, there are two people along the line who were part of the picture and stepped out. Yishmael and Asaph, And we've spoken about them in the past, what they were doing there. Right? Yaakov is MS. Right? But until that point, 
So chesed and gvura, each one of them have a negative manifestation to them. Kindness is nice unless kindness is out of control. Kindness gone out of control is, is just everybody has total anarchy. And that's not so kind anymore. Right? That was the door marble where they broke down every barrier. And in return for that, they received rain, which admits Hashem, we should be able to get rain. Although, as we saw in the door marble, too much of a good thing is a problem. Yeah? It was too intense. And, uh, and that is a negative manifestation. That was Yishmael. Yishmael is a wild man. Yeah? Without any sense of controls. Asaph is power. Power is a wonderful thing when you control yourself. But when you don't control yourself, so then you look to control others. And that, and that's the way the person, you know, looks at power. My, it's, it's not the power over me, it's the power over you. And there are people who that becomes the most important thing. Edom, Edom, which is who Asaph becomes, is associated with the Roman Empire. We know the famous expression, Pax Romana. Roman peace. How is there Roman peace? Roman peace is as long as Rome tells you what to do and you listen. And if not, then all roads lead to Rome. Because Rome is going to march their armies out to you. Don't worry, wait there, we're coming. You understand? And they'll march right out and use the latest technology to destroy you. In the cruelest possible ways until you recognize their power. Yeah? And, um, you know... There's a concept of recognizing our power. You know, there's certain world powers like that. So, uh, you know, this is, this is the two things that have to be taken out. The negative aspect of chesed, the ne- negative aspect of gvura. And those two, you know, also rams joined together at the end of this week's parasha in a coalition. And they, if they work together, then they bring together the entire world against us. And uh, we know what that feels like. You know what I mean? We've been there more than once. Been there more than once. So that you have, you know, countries like the Sudan and um, and Saudi Arabia and other peace-loving, open democracies criticizing us because uh, Zionism is racism. You know what I mean? So Baruch Hashem that they found the problem. You know what I mean? They were able to put their finger on it. We are always the problem. The United Nations have passed more resolutions against Israel than anything else in their history. That seems to be the whole reason they exist. For all the nations of the world to come together and point the finger at us. We are always the problem. Absolutely amazing. But, uh, but okay. Alright, all this is stuff that we know already. These, uh, these are, there's no chidushim over here. This is stuff that we know. The question is like this. And that is the approach to Esav and Yishmael. Now today, the approach to Esav and Yishmael is pretty simple. Keep your head down, duck, run. Right? Very simple. These people are extremely unpleasant when you get them started, you know. Stay out of their way, try to avoid them, you know, that's about it. They have no real good intentions towards us. But you have to go back to the root. And the root is when you take a look at Avraham and Yitzchak. Avraham has a son, Yishmael. Yitzchak has a son, Esav. What do you do in those situations? And obviously, everything that we're being taught is there to teach us a lesson. There's an Aznaim Torah that takes Yitzchak to town. Mamish takes him to town and back again. You know, he didn't know what his son was doing. He wasn't watching what was happening. And so here, he thinks his son is sitting yeshiva learning, and really he's already out being over to Vodazara, and eventually he leaves the yeshiva in order to be able to go out and be a hunter, and so Yitzhak doesn't understand it's because he's turned his back on Torah, he thinks it's because, you know, okay, he's not cut out for learning, he's looking to get a profession, you know what I mean? He doesn't understand that he's being motivated by his own tithes, you know, and he just, he just beats up on, on Yitzhak something terrible, you know, and, uh, and the message, this much is clear. And, and that's not the approach that we usually take here is to beat up on the others, but, but the, um, the minimalist school, as it's called. Uh, but this much is clear. If there's something in the Torah, it's for us to learn from, or it wouldn't be there. What we learn, obviously we have to try to understand, but it wouldn't be there unless there's something for us to learn from. Abram sends away Yishmael. Now, he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do this. This is not his motivation. 
And Kodesh Baruch Hu, Sarah says, send them away. Kodesh Baruch Hu says, listen to Sarah. This seems to be whatever the correct approach is. And he sends him away. Yitzchak does not send away Esav. Now, this much is clear. There's definitely two stages in the relationship between Yitzchak and Esav. The first stage of the relationship, according to many Mepharshim, is that Yitzchak thinks that Esav is a good guy. He sees in him, you know, all of the potential good. Let's face it, Esav's head is buried in Maris Machpelah. So there was a part of Esav that was really very good. It was very great. It was in the level of the others. Yitzchak saw that. Why that is? Well, so the Mephosh would give different reasons. You know, um, there are those who suggest that since Yitzchak was a living carbon, he reached a level where he could not see Ra. Now, I'll take a minute just to explain this because this is such an incredibly important point. We do a lot of bad things. Right? If this doesn't apply to you, then just, you know, I do a lot of bad things. I, I certainly do a lot of bad things, you know. And I also do some good things. If I had to sit down with pen and paper, there's no question I do a lot more bad things than good things. Right? Um, I just look in the course of the day, the amount of time that we spend on limited Torah versus Bittal Torah. You know, so those of you who are in yeshiva, okay, Baruch Hashem, hopefully you, you reverse the trend. Those of us who are out teaching, we have no time to learn. You know what I mean? So, uh, we end up finding other things to keep ourselves busy with, or to be involved with, you know, Lashon Hara. Even though it's all for a Toelis, nonetheless, there are times that we speak Lashon Hara that perhaps it's not 100% of a Toelis, and maybe we don't have the best of intentions, and, and you can go on and on and on. You know, how many, how many Averis are that we do in the course of a day? I don't want to start getting personal here. But there are a lot of different Averis that people do. And then we also do mitzvahs. You know? But Pashtas, the amount of mitzvahs we do are probably less than the amount of Averis that we do. Because there are a lot of Averis. And if you learn Halachas Farm, there are more that you don't even know about. You know what I'm saying? So there are a lot of Averis and more are creeping up every day. <laughs> I mean, and mitzvahs we also do. You know? But, uh, you know, we'll dab with Kavana. This year, Yitz Hashem, Erev Pesach, Tzbirka Sechama. You say it once every 28 years. I can't imagine anyone's going to pull out the Tzbirka Sechama book. Oh, that was good. Catch in 28 years, you know. That's a long time to wait for a bracha. <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, you're probably going to say, well, come on, but I, I don't know that we do that all the time. I spoke at a Tefillah Kenneth with a very friend here in... Uh, in Yerushalayim, and he told the story about how he was going to to see, he was going to speak in square, and he says, okay, but I have to, I want to meet with the square rabbi. He says, I'm not a chassid, but let's say you go to ask a tzaddik. So he, he, you know, he started thinking, what would I ask the square rabbi for? He asked his wife, he called his kids, what would I ask the square rabbi for? You know, I'm going to meet the square rabbi, what would I ask him for? What kind of bracha should I ask him for? And then he stopped and he says, you know, I took to Hashem three times a day, and I don't put this much thought into it. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm going to go down and talk to What would you like? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's something. Uh, give me a minute, you know. But yeah, I'm going to go get for a bracha, you know. <sighs> Unbelievable, you know. No, I, 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 probably a lot of things wrong. So there's a, a wonderful thing, Baruch Hashem. And that is that evil is not as strong as good. Good, as Rashi makes the cheshven, yeah, that... If you do something good, you get rewarded for 2,000 duras. Which to me is an unbelievable concept. You know what that means? That means that the, the, the good things that the others did, we're not even halfway through. We're gonna keep, we're gonna cash in on that for a long time. Baruch Hashem. All that good stuff you keep collecting. Bad stuff only lasts four generations, says Rashi. To teach us that the power of good is 500 times as strong as the power of evil. Good is strong. And there's more than that. The Ra is an illusion. Evil doesn't really exist. There isn't real evil. You know? I've told this story before, but uh, I was just in America, and, and I spoke at this school, so, you know, I, I had a chance to refresh my memory. You know, I was speaking in a high school, a girls' high school in, in America, and I mentioned at one point, you know, 
that, you know, we have to figure out who we really are and what we're really doing in this life and, and you know, all kinds of things like this, right? Pretty basic stuff. And, um, and this girl raised her hand and said, but what if who we really are is someone evil? I said, you mean you think really deep down you're evil? You're Voldemort? You understand? You know, <laughs> the essence of evil? There's nothing left to your soul, you know? I, I, I said, you really think that when you die and you get up to Shemaim, you're going to be plotting how to destroy God? You know what I mean? That's, that's your essence? That's who you are inside? It's such a bizarre concept. And I look around the room and I see girls nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I'm really evil. You know? Even Dr. Doomstein wasn't evil. He had a name like Doomstein. You know what I mean? Like, you know, really evil? Deep down evil? So we spoke about why this is, and the, the reason is really, you know, is brilliant. That's because the Yetzirah Hura does not play by the markers of Queensbury rules. He doesn't play fair, right? The Yetzirah Hatov, the Yetzirah Hatov says, don't you want to do this good thing? And the Yetzirah Hura says, no, I don't. Aha! Pronoun trouble. You don't mean, no, I don't. You mean, no, you don't, right? You're talking to me. But the Yetzirah Hura doesn't play fair. The Yetzirah talks like you. And so you hear a little voice inside of you saying, I don't want to get up in the morning. I don't want to daven. I don't want to this. I don't want to that. And you think that's you talking. That's not you. Evil's not real. You reach a certain level and there is no evil. We mentioned this years ago. The Svas Emma says, why does Hashem come before Yom Kippur? He says, because Yom Kippur you have to do tshuva. But how can you do tshuva if you're stuck in your chatoyim? So when you blow shofar, it lifts you all the way up so you're above your averis. Your Averis is just down there. There's something external that I have to get rid of, but it's not real. Evil isn't... The Korah Risha and all the evil will vanish like a puff of smoke because it's not real. That's it. It's gone. It vanishes. Wooly willy. No, that's not wooly willy. The, the, uh, magic slate. There you go. <laughs> you, know, you sit there and do whatever you want. You pick it up and it's gone. Boom. Etch a sketch. Give it a shake. It's gone. Pretty depressing if you're in the middle of something important. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's not real. So it is with evil. Evil's not real. Yeah? You're able, you're able to remove it. So Yitzchak was so high that he, the evil in Esau he couldn't see. Now make no mistake about it. We spoke about this on our first Parshashir, which was uh, Parshish Vayigash, uh, I think, uh, about 13 years ago. You know, that... Uh, that when we told you, you'll remember that if you <laughs> have the notes readily available. Anyway, so, um, you know, we, that, um, that it says they're going to be a Suda, La'as of Lavai, Suda's of Yasan, and every Tzaddik who ever lived is going to be there. And Asa's going to come, and Asa's going to sit down. You know, every two and Isaac and Yaakov, Reb Moshe, Reb Aaron, Shlom I mean, Rashi, Ramban, Rambam, you know, everybody from all the time is going to be there. Be, oh, have a seat, have a seat. He's going to sit down until Kodesh Baruch says, not for you. What you see from this, by the way, is that Kodesh Baruch was an Israeli. But, uh, in any event, no, yada. Anyway, that's it, you know. But only a Kodesh Baruch is going to be able to see this. But, but Yitzchak was so raised above it that, 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 to see the evil in Esav. He saw all the good, and the good was there. Rivka had an advantage. Rivka had two advantages. The Baal Turim says, says in the beginning of this week's parasha, right? Her father was Basuel, her brother was Lavan, she came from Padan Aram, she knew the Shayim. She was comfortable with them. She knew they were around. She spotted them a second. You know? Yitzchak, Yitzchak was a, was a good boy. He didn't get around, you know? So he, he saw it. You know, he didn't see it the same way. The other one is she had a Nebuah. She had a nevuah. She knew that, 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 that there's a problem over here. So, uh, so a certain advantage. But, but Asaph was something that was such a chutasara that, you know, we read the stories and it's easy to picture a big red hairy guy, you know what I mean? With his uh, knuckles dragging on the ground, you know? Forget it. If he was here, trust me, if he fooled Yitzchak, he'd fool us. There's not a question about it, you know? So, so there was a part of the story where Asaph didn't know. Where, where, where Yitzchak didn't know, let's say. But after he knew who Asaph was, why didn't he send them away? And if you will, there's, you can give an explanation that there was a switch in the situation. Right? There, there are those who want to learn 
that Yishmael had to be sent away in order to be able to preserve a Yitzchak. This is um, what Menachem use whenever they want to ask a boy to leave a yeshiva. No, you have to throw out a Yishmael to save a Yitzchak. Interesting that, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the motivation. Certainly, certainly that wasn't the way that Avram Avinu looked at it. You know? Interestingly enough, it's a fascinating Chassam Seifer, where he learns the Pusik, uh slightly differently than we usually learn it. Where, um, when Sarah says, Batera Sora has been Hoga Mitris Ashayodu Avram Tzachik. Batomer Avram, Gaisha Amazos Yes Benokil, Yerash Ben Amazos Ben Yitzchak, Vayera Hadov Maud Beene Avram Al Odos Beno. And it was very painful, bad for Yaakov, uh, for Avram, to hear about his son. So we always hear to hear about Yishma. It's a rational. Sometimes he says, he was very upset to hear about Yitzchak. What Saul was saying was very upsetting to him. Oh, those but no, because of his son Yitzchak. What do you think? Yitzchak can't be a tzaddik with a Yishmael around? Well, he's such a baby. We're going to keep him locked up. Oh, there's a Yishmael over there, so what? So, you got to be from even if people are shooting arrows at you. You know what I mean? Life's tough. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're going to have an easy time, you know? Because the prophet says, no, 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 you're making a mistake here. <laughs> Send him away. And clearly that wasn't Avraham's approach. So Avraham sends him away. What's Avraham's kavona? What's Avraham's kavona? So the past is, we have to get him away. That's what everybody says. You have to save Yitzchak by sending away Yishmael. But Yaakov, assuming that Yitzchak first realizes he's a Russia after the brachos, so he goes, but forget. He sends Yaakov away and keeps Yitzchak in the house. So I guess he could say, yeah, Yitzchak could say, I sent Yaakov away. I have to worry on an out Shabbos. But until then, you know what I mean? You know, Hashem, he's fine. Send him away. The problem with that, of course, is that he's going to Padan Aram. He's, he's hardly going, you know, to a, you know, to a fine yeshiva <laughs> from neighborhood. You know what I mean? He's going to Padan Aram. He's going to his wife's family. Right? Rishayim. Not because it's his wife's family. Right? It's just Rishayim. Right? His father was a Russian. His brother was a Russian. His family was a Russian. Right? Makam Rishayim. But it's interesting the dichotomy there. He doesn't send away Esav. Yishmael is sent away, but he doesn't send away Esav. Why? So, there are those who say, because, well, you know, um, Sarah and Abraham, it was their bias. It wasn't really, Hagar didn't really belong there. She was brought in, so to speak. And so, you know, Yishmael didn't have a right to be there. But you can't say that Esav didn't have a right to be here. These are his parents. An answer I heard from a couple of people. <clears throat> but that again presupposes that Abraham is sending away Yishmael just because he's a bad boy. We don't want Yitzchak to be influenced. You have to send him away. There's an unbelievably short Salanta that I think gives us a whole different perspective on that that aspect of the story. And that's going to make the kasha with Yitzchak, I think, a little starker. It comes to the Akedah. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu comes to Abraham and says, Kachna es bincha es yechidcha asher ahavta. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love. Um... Rashi says, Yaakov doesn't understand this. As Bincha, your son, Armelo, Shnei Bonam Yeshli, I have two sons, Yitzchak and Yishmael. Armelo, as Yechidcha, the only one. Armelo, Each one's the only child from that mother. Armelo, Asher Ahavta, the one that you love. Both of them I love. You're coming to Akedas Yitzchak. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is coming to you to request from you the tenth test that Klai Yisrael is going to depend on for the rest of their existence. This unbelievable 
request. You really can't figure out whether it's Yitzchak or Yishma. Because who wants to take one of your sons and be mocked with him as a carbon and you don't know which one it is? So I, I wanted to answer, he was hoping it was Yishmael. <laughs> but um, I haven't seen that brought down anywhere. But Yishmael uh, Salanta gives a different answer. <laughs> he says, he really thought at this point that Yitzchak and Yishmael were equal. Because Abraham's kavana in sending away Yishmael was only because he thought that's what Yishmael needed in order to be able to read his greatness. He was going to be Misrachik Yishmael. And his only intention for this Rechok was so that Yishmael would have the opportunity to realize what he did wrong and straighten out and come home. Not just come home. Come home as a Yitzchak. To some extent, it was a successful therapy. Because at the end of his life, you see that Yishmael does tshuva. So on some level, he managed to reach in to the heart of Yishmael. So if there is some powerful uh, issue to sending away an errant child, how come Yitzchak doesn't send away Yosef? Just the opposite. You see that he speaks to him softly. And he's nice to him. And he keeps him close. Keep him close. I don't, I'm not so cynical as to uh, invoke the expression, you know, keep, uh, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he was trying to keep Asaph under his eye. What, what was it that was motivating him to keep Asaph home after he knows who Asaph is? So I heard an idea once from the Maisha Shapiro. And there are many ideas that I hear that just, you know, stick to me and, and, uh, and, and have a, a ring of such powerful truth that needs to be developed. And this was one of those. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, which we don't have in our Gemara. It's also quoted in Sota, and we don't have it in our Gemara. When I say we don't have it, I mean those of us who still have the old-style Gemaras. The good old Gemaras. Not those of you who have the new, technologically advanced Gemaras that have collections of everything Rashi ever said and little biographical data and, you know, a liquid of all that we've shown him and, you know, pop-ups and collected knots and all the other kind of nifty stuff they came out with. I had Talmidim over the years who say to me, you know, as they struggle through a piece of Gemara, they say, you know, Rebbe, there's no punctuation. I said, yeah, I know. He says, so how do you know when the sentence ends and when it stops? My experience. You know? He says, but Rebbe, it's in Aramaic. I said, yeah. Nobody speaks Aramaic. I said, yeah. That's right. So he says to me, how come Rashi and Tyson are on a different script? I said, listen to me closely, because when I ask these questions to my Rebbe, I'll tell you what he told me, and I want you to understand this, because it's very important. That's how I want it, that's how you're going to learn it. You understand? <laughs> And I see that my Talmudim appreciate it just as much as I do. <laughs> but that's it. Now part of it is, this is that learning Gemara is not meant to be easy. It's meant to be a struggle. You know, we all know that, you know, when you sit down with an Oscar Gemara and you just have to like look something up, before you know it, you're 12 pages away. You know what I mean? Because you just read so easily. 12 pages away means, by the way, you just finished the number, but that doesn't mean anything. Anyway, just keep turning. But like, it's like so user-friendly. The Gemara is the antithesis of user-friendly. It's not supposed to be user-friendly. It's supposed to be user-miserable. You understand? And the reason is because you have to struggle to understand. You know, I have a friend of mine who's a genius. Baruch Hashem, I like to hang out with all kinds of different people. And um, I was speaking to him once about a particular Achron, you know, and he says, well, he's not like, you know, the kind that you can just, on a Shabbos afternoon after the challenge, you know what I mean, lean back with a scotch and read. You know, you have to actually work on it. I said, you know, I don't know too many Achronim that I could just lean back after a meal with a scotch and struggle, you know, without struggling. But he can, Baruch Hashem. So he knows you have to work. And a piece of Gemara, you have to work, you have to struggle. You know? I remember I was at a bris once, you know, 
and uh, this fellow is speaking, and he says, "Can you cut a He says, "What does that mean?" And he brought examples of each one. But he says, He says, so this Rebbe is walking, and he sees one of his little Talmidim in Cheder, you know, who's just studying Gemara, and he's walking with his father. And he looks at the little boy, and he says, No, tell me, do you love the Torah? And he says, No, Rebbe, I don't love the Torah. And the father goes, And he says, No, 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 no. He's right. <laughs> if he loves it, that means I'm doing a bad job. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's hard. Kisha, kisha, the way you come into a bris, you know how you come into a bris? You walk in being carried on a pillow and a nice fancy object, you know, a nice, a nice fancy outfit, you know? And there's a nice kindly old rabbi there with a knife, you know? And <laughs> you figure it's for the bagels, you don't know what's going on, you know? You know? And it slowly dawns on you and you start screaming and everybody's smiling. It's like, I don't think they understand. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? And how do you walk out of there? Bandaged, bruised, and bloody. <laughs> Can you cut us a Torah? <laughs> See, you have to tell you Torah's not meant to be that, that, that simple. It's difficult. It's a struggle. There's no question about it. You know? So, um, so when you sit down to learn, yeah, there's certain, there's certain, you know, in, in built obstacles, so to speak, that a person has to, has to try to overcome, you know. But, um, uh, so as you, as you'll go through the Gemaras, if you have a nice old-fashioned Gemara, you know, this Gemara is not there. That's because the Christian senses took it out. You know, there's a lot of stuff that the Christian senses took out. And as time went on, they got crazier and crazier. You know? So, um, you know, for example, one of the words that evidently is sometimes used as a code word for Christians is the word min. So they took out the phrase min baminoi. <laughs> oh, Christian in his own kind, you know. Of course not. It's talking about like cooking, you know, a piece of meat in the meat stew. You know what I mean? Like, you know, something in its own kind, you know. But anybody that, arbaminum, take it out. <laughs> Think about four Christians, you know what I mean? You know? They just, they started hacking away in the craziest places. But there were certain Gemaras that they took out early on and they were later republished in a very small little book called, uh, Sureshas. And, um, and uh, this Gemara is definitely there. It's both in Saita and it's both in Sanhedrin. And it goes the following. You should always be Mekayev uh, Yamin and not Snol Daicha. Right? Mekayev Yamin or Snol Daicha. So you should always be Mekayev Yamin and not Snol Daicha. Because Snol Daicha is what Elisha did to Gechazi and what Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachia did to Yeshu. Yeshu. Uh, that name may mean something to you. He did go on to have a somewhat uh, colorful career. <laughs> Towards the end he was just hanging around. But, you know... <laughs> I guess I could talk about this because I'm just coming back from America. It was right after Thanksgiving and, you know, the... the uh, the decorations are already up. It's already the holiday season. I always like to be timely. But in any event, Yeshua uh, ben Prachia was the Rebbe of Yeshua. Now, this is a little bit of a problem because it's about 150 years before they say he was born. But we say that they are lying. Just so you understand this. We don't feel any compunction about this. Because one of the biggest problems that they have is the fact that this guy is not mentioned any place in Josephus when he was supposed to have lived. And uh, if this guy was, you know, somewhat noteworthy, Josephus wrote the whole history of the Chorben Bayashani time. He talked about King Herod, and he talked about all the characters who are mentioned in, um, you know, their, their very popular book, the sequel, where God gets married and has a kid, you know. Anyway, so... We only have the original, you know, God stays single throughout our whole book. But anyway, that <laughs> eventually settles down. That's the sequel over there. It's really Bible part two. But, um, but uh, you know, so all the characters who are there appear in Josephus as historical characters. But this guy, Yeshu, is not mentioned once in any context. Then we, we say, because he didn't live then. He lived 150 years before. 
Now what happened? So what happened is, uh, Yana and Melech decided to kill all of the Chachamim. Yana and Melech, you know, we're coming into Hanukkah also, speaking of the holiday season, so there's a somewhat disappointing end to the Hanukkah story. The brave Chashmanayim, who go out to fight the Greeks, only, right, the five brothers of the five brothers, only one survives. And that's Shimon HaMakabi. He makes himself Nasi. And uh, after he dies, his son Yochanan Hyrcanus takes over the Malchus. And after he dies, Yochanan Hyrcanus's son, Yanai, becomes king. Now, there's a little bit of a problem, because uh, Yochanan Hyrcanus was also the Kohen Gadol, as well as taking on the political power. And, um, and his wife had been captured by the Greeks. And the, the certain people that a Kohen is not allowed to marry, Medea Raisa, and Medirabbanan, there are certain others. Medirabbanan, you can't marry a Shvuya. Your wife was captured by non-Jews. We have to be afraid that since they had their way with her, she's now usher to you. And um, that's a Medirabbanan. And so he was not allowed to remain married to his wife, but he did anyway, and that's where Yanai came from. So the Tzadukim, who turned their back on the Chachamim, came to try to win Yanai over. So they said, the Chachamim will not recognize you as the Kohen Gadol. He says, so what should I do? He says, kill them all. So he says, but then what will be with the Torah? He says, put the Torah in the corner. Anyone who wants to learn it can learn it. You know? So he comes out in the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol to do the Avoda, and they tell him not to, and there's a whole terrible scene that unfolds, and eventually he begins wiping out all the Chachamim. Those that can flee, and the Zug at that point, the, you know, this was the period of the Zugas, was Shem ben Shetach and Rishuv ben Prachya. Rishuv ben Prachya runs away to Alexandria in Egypt, taking whichever Talmudim he can with him, including Yeshu. And, um, and Shem ben Shetach is hidden by his wife, Shlomziano Malka, who uh, lived right by the post office. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, Shlomziana Malka was Yanai's wife. And so she hid Shem Meshetach. And then, you know, a period came along where he had to, um, they had to bench. Nobody knew how to bench. And he was so upset, Yanai. And so he says, if I find somebody who can bench, do you promise you won't harm him? So he says, yeah. And she brings out her brother, Shem Meshetach. And Yanai's surprised to find that he's still alive. And uh, he benches, and slowly he rebuilds Torah. He started educational system, and eventually things calm down, and Yeshua ben Prachia is allowed to return. And he's returning with his Talmudim. And on the way, he stops in an inn. This is all in the Gemara that has been taken out. On the way, he stops off in an inn, and, um, and the innkeepers are giving special attention to the Gadol Hadar, who's come, of course, one can only imagine the thrill one would have of being able to give the Gadol Hador, right? To, to treat them properly. Sometimes people are literally fooling over themselves. There was this young Shiva Bacher who was given the opportunity once to drive for Moshe Feinstein. And um, as he was, when Moshe was getting in the car, he was so excited that he slammed the door on his hand. Moshe took his hand out and kept it covered so the boy wouldn't see the swelling until he got home. Then he began screaming in pain and he went to the hospital. And they said, Rebbe, why don't you say something right away? You know, he needed immediate treatment. He says, could you imagine how this kid would feel his, his, the rest of his life? You're the one who slammed the car door on Moshe Feinstein's hand. You know? So you can imagine, you know, if you actually had an opportunity. I don't know how many of you have hosted Gedoli Torah. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, a daunting, you know, uh, opportunity. So the innkeeper and his wife are running around and they're serving and they're bringing everything. And, and Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachia is so happy to see, even after this attempt to destroy Torah, that there's still this respect for Torah, and he says, how beautiful is this? And Yeshu says, yes, Rabbi, but she's cross-eyed. And he says, let me see if I understand this. You think that when I said, look how beautiful, I was talking about the innkeeper's wife? that I was checking out a married woman because you were? Uh, that's it. Chayim! He puts him in Chayim. Now, 
This was, by the way, a general method that was used to express extreme displeasure. Okay? It was social ostracization. You know, we use the word in English, excommunication, which doesn't, it's totally not true. Excommunication is a Catholic concept wherein you don't get to go to heaven. Which is extremely disappointing. You know? <laughs> and that's why when there were two popes in the 14th century, a French one and an Italian one, each one said that the other one's followers is excommunicated, doesn't go to heaven. Wow, that's gotta be a bummer. So, uh, <laughs> try to figure out, guess right, you know what I mean, you know? And that was the way, the Pope sometimes, they put all of England in, in, in excommunication, you know? And, uh, you know, one of them came to the, the Pope in the snow to ask forgiveness, uh, you know, and uh, it was a whole, it was very terrible to be excommunicated. Henry VIII didn't care because he says, we're going to business for ourselves. And anyone who disagrees will cut off your head. And a lot of people were influenced by that uh, decision. They thought he had a good point. So, um, and, uh, and, but this was very safe. But we're, the ostracization, you know, we're not going to talk to you, you know, you're, you're on the outs. Okay? Now, he did something pretty serious. Pretty serious. To get to the gutter door, you know what I mean? You know, oh, you're checking out the white man. Huh? You know, like, you know, that's really bad. So he comes several times to ask forgiveness, and he pushes him away. But small Dechik pushes him and pushes him away, and he's finally made up his decision. I've pushed this guy as far as I can, and now I'm going to bring him close. I'm going to bring him close. And so he decides the next time he comes, he's going to forgive him. And Yeshu, who evidently has a string of bad luck throughout his life, Yeshu shows up while he's saying Kriyashma. And he says to him, Rebbe, will you forgive me? And Rebbe doesn't say anything. You know? Probably because he was so intent. You know? So intent. It's hard for us to understand this, you know? That, that, that you know, Rebbe Akiva was diving from Esther and he found himself on the other side of a river. You know what I mean? Most of us don't really do We might go swimming while we're davening, but it's not, you know, <laughs> that level of intensity. I heard this story, I don't know if it's true or if it's just, you know, apocryphal, but it is interesting. There was a breast of a chassid who was sitting next to a briska on the plane. <laughs> you know, you don't even need a punchline. That's it. You know, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> anyway, the person goes, nah! And the briska goes, shh! And he goes, nah, nah! And he says, shh! Nah, 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 nah! Shh! Nah, 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 nah! Shh! Nah, 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 nah! And the brisket says, Shma! <laughs> I'll give that a few seconds. Deserves some time. Anyway! So, uh, he was saying Krishma, in case you didn't. Anyway, that's intensity! <laughs> so, uh, so he's coming asking Mechila, and, you know, she's going, shh! <laughs> shh! <laughs> you know, so Yashka says, well, that's it, I'm done. I'm finished. And he goes up and he sets up in, the way the Gemara says it is, he sets up an Avodazara. <laughs> doesn't mention that he was the Avodazara. But he sets up an Avodazara, and uh, people start worshipping it. So eventually, Yashur bin Prakhya comes to him and says, come back. And he says, no, 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 you told me. Chaitu Machta, they can't do chub. So I've already led people to sin, so I'm finished. Now, one can only imagine if one wanted to play historical games, what would have happened if Yeshua ben Prachia wasn't so hard on him? What if he was Makarev and what if he brought him back? Certainly, world history would have been dramatically different. Certainly, the many, 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 many Jews who were killed in the name of this errant uh, uh, you know, student of Torah would have, would have lived. Who knows how society, how life, how everything would have changed had Yeshua ben Prakhya handled it differently. And Reb Meisha said, Reb Meisha Shapiro said, that's why Yitzchak didn't send away Esav. He didn't think that by sending away Esav there was going to be any educational value. All there would be is anger and bitterness. There would be nothing to be gained from it. Nothing positive. And therefore, he kept him close. Because if he, was, if he didn't have that level 
of warmth and love, then Esav wouldn't have had a shred of mercy in him. When Esav comes with an army to kill, to kill Yaakov, and Yaakov goes to kill or be killed, and this is the moment of confrontation, he manages to win Esav over. And Esav comes and cries, and according to certainly one man, it was, it was sincere at that moment. He reached a soft spot in Esav's heart. There was a soft spot in Esav's heart only because Yitzchak kept him close. When Yaakov runs away to Choran, we know he shows up with nothing but a stick in his hand. Why? Because Esav said Eliphaz came to kill him on the orders of his father and he was ready to kill his uncle Yaakov. But because he sat by Yitzchak, there was a shred of good in him and he says, what am I supposed to do? From Eliphaz comes a Molech. But Eliphaz still had some good in him. We understand a Molech has managed to to capture nothing but senseless hatred of Klai Yisrael. He's taken all the hatred of Esav, and that's all he has. But there are other branches of Esav. And they're powerful, and they control the world. That's the ghost that we're in now. And the fact that they have not tried to, they have not succeeded in destroying us. The reason we're still alive today is only because Yitzchak kept him close and there was still something there inside of him. There was still a feeling of goodness, something of holiness that was left. Which means, whether you're dealing with the Yishmael or you're dealing with an Esav, you have to be able to have the keen insight and understanding what holds the key to the Neshama. Small doichik, there's times when I have to push back. There are times when I have to say Adka. I have to say no. I have to hold back. But it's always got to be with the small. Because the small is the weaker hand. But the Yemin Karif, with the right hand, you have to bring close. Because to bring close is, is an act of creation. That's an act of Bria. And to be able to, to create, that's only the Yemin. That's an, that's an act of, of strength. It's interesting that it's Avraham who is chesed, who can push aside. Only Avraham can push aside. But Yitzchak, who's gvura, he can push aside. Right? Rashi says in Parshish Devarim that uh, at the end of the 38 years that Klai Yisrael was dying out because of the Chetam Raglam. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu finally speaks the Yudabah Hashem. He uses the Lashon of Yudabah. Right? Lashon Chiba. And asked Mepharshim, what are you talking about? The Yudabah is Lashon Koshos. He says, it's true. Only somebody who loves deeply enough can use a tough language. Can use a tough language. But you have to be able to do it. The out of Slabatka of whom they say you know, he was a master mechanic. They say he knew how to put, take you apart and put you back together. They say today we're, we're almost on that level. We know how to take you apart. We're not so good at putting you back together, you know. But the altar Slobodka, there was an altar bacher in Slobodka. And uh, he got an on Shabbos. Now normally an altar bacher, he's one of the chashuvim. So he gets a shlishi, you know. He gets a, he gets a maftir. He gets a ravi. Ravi is sort of a standard, you know, like a, you know, for the hoi polloi, you know what I mean? The average guys, the young guys get that. He had no, he had no mistake that obviously the altar was behind it because the altar was behind everything. You know? They, they say, you know, the, when you, was, when you sat in shear with the altar, you paid attention to how you kept your feet, how you, what you did with your hands because he watched everything. He understood a person unbelievably, you know? They tell a story one time uh, there was a guy who he felt was a Balgaiva. He says, Give him Hagba and give me Galila. <laughs> and the guy brings his name and the altar comes over. <laughs> so so here this guy gets him and he so after Dominic he goes over and says, Rebbe, what's the matter? He says, Why? He says, Well, are you upset at me about something? He says, Why? He says, Give me a ravine. He says, What? A Balgaiva like you should get something else? He says, What did I do? He says, Oh, you don't even remember. No. Oh. 
seven years ago. There was an old, old Talmud Chacham who came to Davin the Yeshiva. And he was already starting to lose it a little bit. And it was Shabbos morning and he started putting on his tefillin. And I went over to you and I said, tell him it's Shabbos not to put on his tefillin. And as you walked over to him, you had a smile on your face. And a Balgaiva like that. You understand? That, like that, you, you deserve anything else. He says, Rebbe, I, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realize, you know, I, I'm going to work on it. But why'd you wait seven years to tell me? <laughs> he says, because until then you wouldn't be able to hear it. I had to spend seven years building you up until I could tell you this. Pesach Kron tells a story of Shalom Shadran. I can more or less tell this. I've told you over enough times that if you've heard the story, it, it, it bears repetition. But, you know, it's just unbelievable. Shalom Shadran was a bacher in Hebron. And, uh, and it was a tainus. And it was already after Shkia. And uh, the Shleich Tzibah finishes um, you know, Chazor Sashatz and he goes to look for Roshiva, Mashkiach, the Paisik, you know, do I, do I say Tachim, do I not? Mashal Shadran, I guess, being from Hasidish stock, you know what I mean, was there, and he says, Manu Kaddish. So the guy says, Kaddish. And at the end of the evening, the Vlaib Chasman goes over to the Bima and gives a clap. He says, I'd like to ask all the Rosh Yeshiva to please leave the Mizrach wall. We have a new Rosh Yeshiva. Shalom Shadron. And the whole place goes dead silent. He says, I wonder if I could trouble the new Rosh Yeshiva to bring me a Mishtabura Chalik Bays. He says, I don't know how my feet moved. And I went over and I brought the Mishtabura and he says, you're not supposed to say Tachnan after, after Shkia. But if you're running late, like on a Tainus, then you're allowed to. Fine. I went back to my dira. I didn't come back for two days. I was hiding under the covers. <laughs> so then I get a message. The mashkiach wants to see you. I didn't know if I was more afraid to come or not to come. I decided I was more afraid not to come. <laughs> so I came in. The mashkiach put his hand on my shoulder and he says, you know why I did what I did. You're going to grow from this. Now get your gemara and sit down. He says, and like a surgeon, he stuck in a knife and cut out half my gaiva. I'm just sorry he left in the other half. <laughs> and he followed through by saying, and if you do this today, you'll kill somebody. <laughs> you'll kill somebody. Ramosh Shapiro is known to be very tough on his Talmudim. Somebody once asked him, why are you so tough? And he says, there's a Chazal that says that there's a Malach with a stick that stands over every blade of grass and hits it and tells it to grow. That's how you grow. Someone hits you with a stick. And people notice he's always very nice to me. <laughs> and so I said to me, why is Ramesha so nice to you? I said, because he's a master mechanic. And he knows that if he yells at me, I won't get upset. I'll just die. Boom. On the floor. That's it. My heart will stop and that'll be the end of me. You know what I mean? Like, you know. So, you know, you got to handle each person according to who they are. You know what I mean? You know, you can't just say, this is my policy. There's a seminary. I met somebody who teaches in the seminary. <laughs> And they said, we have a policy. You break one of the rules, out by sundown. That's it. Guilty, you're out. Out by sundown. I said, you know, based in, if the same day they don Dinei Nefoshos, they're not allowed to give Misa. I said, this to me doesn't sound like a source of pride. <laughs> we, we don Misa and kill you right away. Oh, no waiting. There's then seven executioners, no waiting, you know what I mean? You're over there, hey, yeah, that's it, turn them on their way, you know? I said, you know, I remember when I was in, when I was working in Derek, you know, we had a staff meeting, and, uh, and, uh, we were talking about whether or not to ask somebody to leave the yeshiva, it was a very serious issue. And some of the rebellion were like, yeah, this guy's gotta go, you know? And they realized that this was in charge. Um, he says, all right, well, we'll make the decision tomorrow. You know, make, Sack can't carry out tomorrow. So the next day we're there, and somebody says to him, you know, oh, you want a coffee? He says, no, I, I always fast the day that I decide whether or not to ask a boy to leave. This is Dine Nefashis. Oof. You understand? When, when you look at a situation, 
And a person, I have a policy. We have a policy. A policy. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And what do you do if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Like Yeshua ben Prachia made a mistake there. A little too tough. Just to, just to, you know, a little too tough, you know. You, 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 you realize the consequences? Somebody came to the Chavetz Chaim, to get a bracha, and he says, you, you, I would never give you a bracha. He says, well, what do I do? You, you're the one, you, you patched labeler. You're the one who patched labeler. I, who, what? You, you know, you're the boy in Cheder, labeler, and you give him a patch? Um, tell you the truth, I, I, I'm sorry to say, but I have patched a lot of the Talmudim over the years, I, I'm not sure this. Yeah, you had a little boy in your class called Labeler Trotsky. And after that patch, that's when he left, and that's when he became a communist, and that's why all the yeshivas are suffering today because of you. Because if you hadn't given him that patch, then this never would have happened. But we don't see the cosmic consequences of the decisions that we're making. We sometimes make decisions because we have a policy, and this is what we do. I always say, I love that one, I always say, I never say. <laughs> I occasionally mention, but I never always say, you know what I mean? You have to look at a situation and decide. But what's the best thing to do in this situation? What's the best thing to do in that situation? And how do I handle this person? Why do I handle this person? Would, would the Rechok help for Yishmael? But, but if he would have, would have, Yitzchak would have done that for Esav, that would have been the end of Kai Yisrael. There wouldn't be a Sheresa Plata. There wouldn't be one of us left standing. A godless of a Yitzchak. And so it's a very strange Gemara. In Shabbos. Where Kai Yisrael sins. And, uh, this is it. This is the end, my friends. So he didn't know what to do. So he said, I'll go to the others. Yeah? And uh, he said, I'll go to Abraham. Abraham. So, uh, he said, Yeah? Yeah? So he says, I'm going to go to them anyway, and you'll see, we'll get Rachman from them. Yeah? Ki Asav, Ki Abraham, so he goes to Abraham, and Abraham says, well, what can I tell you? You know, they sinned. So, Yimchu, Al-Kedusha Shmecha. So, wipe him out. <laughs> what do you want from me? And he goes to, he goes to Yaakov, he says, wipe him out. And he goes to Yitzchak, Bin Chachatu. I'm going to find him, he Bini Velobanecha? What do you mean, my sons? They're not your sons? B'shoshek, Dimu Lefanecha, Nasa Lanishma, Kuros Lehem Bini Bechayri. Oh, when they said Nasa Lanishma, then you said they're my son. Akshav, Bini Velobanecha? Now they're my son and not your son? V'od, Kamachatu. How much did they sin? Come on. Kamachnaz V'shoshadam. How long is the person living? Shivim Shona? Seventy years? Dal Esrim Delorancha. Alayu. Yeah, take off 20, cause then you don't get punished until you're 20. That leaves 50. Pajulim Khamshin. Dal Khavhei, knock off 25, cause they're nights, and people are sleeping, they don't have time to sin. Yeah, that leaves 25. Of the 25, take off 12 and a half, because people have to go to the bathroom and they have to eat, and you know, and they, they take care of stuff, so they don't have time to sin then. So we're left with 12 and a half years, that's the big deal? So okay, who split it? Pago Alaya, Pago Alaya. The entire Gula lie. You want to say all of the money? Her krivas nashi kanaych. Yeah, I'll take on the seven and a, I'll take on the whole seven and a half years that they uh, six and twelve and a half years. Ki Yitzchak Ajetan Mekalsim Li Kalsla Kodesh etc. And in the end, it's Yitzchak who saves us. Yitzchak is dead. So says the Oznaim Latayra. He says, because Yitzchak is the one who wouldn't send away, uh, wouldn't send away Esav. He wouldn't send him away. Abraham sent away Yishmael, he sent away the Bidei Keturah. And Yaakov is the one who gives Musa to his children. And Yitzchak keeps, keeps his arm around Esav to the end. So at the end, he can say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hey, I never sent my kids away. I never let them go. Now all of a sudden they're my kids, not your kids. So, so come, we'll split it, we'll do it together. That's what every parent has to do.
We have to say to Kaddish Baruch Hu, they're my kids. Mrs. Teller tells a story about her daughter was teaching in a school and this woman who was teaching there had a child who was, who was seriously uh, disabled, you know, developmentally disabled, very, very severe. And she was pregnant. And one of the other teachers in the school with the usual level of sensitivity that one develops by living in Israel said, aren't you afraid to have more children? Maybe they'll also be retarded. So she said, they're not my children, they're Hakadosh Baruch Hu's children. I'll take whatever he gives me. And that's the bottom line. And that's what Yitzchak says to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. They're my children, they're your children. We're in this together. There's no such a thing as it's me and, 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 and your children. Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You have to bring them close. There's time small daichik, but you have to be very careful because you do that too much. Cosmic consequences. <sighs> Scary. You know, I say to the younger people in the room, I pass on the message that I received from my mother. Boy, am I glad I don't have to bring up kids in this generation. And boy, you guys forget about it. Baruch Hashem, I'll be in a home by then. But, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about it in a couple of years. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's so difficult. And now, now is the time that we have to be mekayev, we have to be able to, you know, to, to, to be able to bring clothes. We have to be able to, you know, we look around and we're so, at our peril do we push away. At our peril do I push away. I was just speaking at a, at a, at a dinner in Lakewood for a wonderful organization that helps these guys who, you know, aren't paying the regular yeshivas to make sure that they're learning that somebody there, etc., etc., you know. One of the people in charge said to me that, that a balabas in Lakewood yelled at him and said, it's your fault. If you weren't making programs for these kids, then they would just leave altogether. It's your fault. <laughs> Such a beautiful thing, you know. And I, and I, and I said to them, I said, I said, this is, this is a, a time when we have such an opportunity. It's only because Klayasol's decided. I remember when I was growing up, in my door, if you went to yeshiva, phew, they hopped up and down, they made you a certificate, they gave you a party. You know, my son learned over here in Yeshiva Katana Torah, and he says, you know, his Rebbe, you know, he came in, he wanted to go to Hebron, you know, so they said, sure, take a stand, I sit down and learn, you know. You know, they didn't, they didn't go through weeks of negotiations and trades. I'll take this one, you take him, we take this. You know, it's like, you know, you want to come and learn, you come and learn. You want to come and learn in yeshiva, you want to come and be from, well, we hopped up and down. Today the message is, we don't need you. We've got five people waiting for your spot. Someone came to me and said, five, twenty. <laughs> got plenty of people waiting for your spot. We don't need you. We don't need you. And who knows the cosmic consequences of that attitude. We have to say, we need you, we want you, we love you. We need you to stay because because you're not just our children, you're Kodesh Baruch Hu's children. <laughs> Imagine how history would have been different you know, if, a, if, if Yitzchak had not had that level of understanding and that love. And it's Hashem, every one of us, in our own lives, with all the people that we meet, it's easy to push away, easy to push away. But that's supposed to be with your weak hand. Drawing close, that should be with your strong hand. And the Mirza Hashem Klai will be the Klai it's supposed to be. Look.